Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and I'm the creator of the show Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake because none of us have time to exercise and work out. And me, I'm probably shaking a little bit more than I wish I were. This is going to be a community-hosted podcast, not by me, but by a collection of women all over the country who are going to share their stories, struggles, and solutions, some with their own guests on their episodes, some without. Each one will be a wonderful sampler of a story that you can relate to or that might help you. And I hope that you all enjoy it. Moms don't have time to move and shake. Get moving. Hi, I'm Jane Van Voren Rogers, writer and editor. I'm working on a Master of Fine Arts degree in creative writing at Fairfield University. I have a poetry chapbook, How to Avoid Being and Other Paths to Triumph. I've written hundreds of articles and edited 15 published books. I help writers polish their words and get them into the world. I'm working on doing that for myself as well. Thank you to Zibby Owens and her team for this great opportunity to talk about how moms can take better care of ourselves as we care for others. I'm not a licensed health expert. I'm a writer and a mom, and these are my opinions and experiences from my perspective. Check with your healthcare provider before starting or changing your diet or exercise. Trigger warning, this episode mentions anxiety, sexual abuse, and domestic abuse. I'm calling this episode The Weights We Carry, not only as a nod to Tim O'Brien's book, The Things They Carried, which is one of my favorites, but also because I believe there are weights we carry, both seen and unseen, that affect our health, fitness, and self-care journeys. I believe the weight of the emotional, mental, and physical traumas we've experienced affects us in unforeseen ways. I believe that awareness is the first step and diving deep into our stories can help us heal and move forward. The weight we carry is by design determined by those who came before us in the unique markings within our genes. My weight journey began during my mother's pregnancy with me when her doctor criticized her after she'd gained 20 pounds and said she shouldn't gain any more. I know she loved tall vanilla ice cream cones, but overall she must have listened. At birth, I weighed five pounds, 15 ounces. I was a tiny girl, shy, nervous, and skittish. When I was around four or five, my pediatrician encouraged my mother to let me eat whatever I wanted, even ice cream shakes, to try to help me gain weight and grow. My mother and maternal grandmother struggled with weight gain at different times. My grandmother, a sweet and sensitive soul who's still living at 98 years old, is about five feet tall, so that made it extra challenging for her to have a healthy weight. As a small child, I saw her order a diet plate with a hamburger patty, cottage cheese, and tomatoes. I saw how she'd labeled herself Tubby on an old group photo from the 40s. I know she did Weight Watchers in the 80s, and my mother praised her efforts by writing a tribute to her in a local newspaper. My mother, a few inches taller, curvy and petite with a small frame and doll-like hands, has exercised regularly since she was 25 and always eats lightly. She was slightly overweight as a child, but then slimmed down in her teens. In her 20s, she worked in a stressful teaching job, struggled with infertility, and gained 30 or 40 pounds. After receiving disparaging comments from family, she started exercising, lost the weight she'd gained, and kept her weight in check. She still weighs herself every day. The weight we carry is based on our childhoods, 
messages we received about our bodies and eating, and foods that gave us joy and comfort. In grade school, I had a best friend who was heavier than me, and she asked a neighbor boy to rate which one of us looked better in our swimsuits as we strutted across the lawn. No matter how she showed off, he kept picking me as the winner, and I sensed it was because I was smaller than she was. This made me feel bad and also reinforced thinness as the ultimate measure of beauty, the idea that I would always be rated prettier than my friend because I was thinner than she was. As a kid, I was naturally thin, but I wasn't that healthy. I roller skated, rode a bike, and played outside with my friends, but I didn't eat many fruits or vegetables. I don't remember drinking much water. This was the 80s. Soda was the drink of the day, and that's what I remember having at restaurants and events. I loved PB&J, mac and cheese, and chicken nuggets. I loved when my grandparents gave me chocolates as treats. My sweet tooth showed when I bit into a snowman candle my grandparents had given me as a gift, assuming it must be chocolate. I loved my hectic Halloween birthday. I loved the store-bought chocolate chip cookies my grandmother always kept in a cookie kettle on the counter. After discovering ice cream candy bars in the third grade, I gained five or 10 pounds and all my pants were too tight. I took a break from the ice cream bars and the weight I'd gained fell off. The weight we carry is based on the fears and risks of being female in the world. In third grade, I was also carrying a secret, one I was too afraid to tell anyone. The father of my then best friend, who was also our neighbor, had molested me. I avoided being at their house to try to prevent any further incidents, which was working, but I was starting to show signs of stress. One day after school, I was struck with a fear I couldn't name. Something felt wrong, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if something bad was going to happen to someone else or to me. I didn't feel safe. Something was wrong. I just couldn't name it. The immediate panic passed, but I was left with a feeling of unease that haunted me. My mom would sometimes ask if something was wrong, but I denied it. My mom and I were best friends with my abuser's wife and daughter. I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. I didn't want anyone to be punished because of me. So I tried to cover it up. The next year when I started having trouble sleeping, I knew this weight was getting too heavy for me to carry. On Easter weekend in fourth grade, I finally told my mom, who was shocked and upset to learn that there was indeed something wrong. We discovered there was another girl in my neighborhood who'd also been this man's victim, and we teamed up to do a court case. I chose to do this because I wanted to protect other kids from what I'd gone through. He was found guilty, lost his job, and served jail time, which is about the happiest ending possible for sexual abuse survivors and one that rarely happens. According to Rain, out of 1,000 perpetrators, only 25 will end up in prison. I have a feeling that my former best friend, this man's daughter, had no escape. Over the years, from a distance, I saw her body get bigger and bigger. I don't know her story, and I can't speak for anyone else, but I wonder if her weight gain was her attempt to get her father to leave her alone. Weight is protection as a shield, as armor. The weight we carry is based on harassment. The summer after sixth grade, I got unwanted attention at the pool when I wore a two-piece swimsuit, a pink and white striped halter top, 
and dark brown bottoms with a wide pink band at the waist. It reminded me of Neapolitan ice cream. A boy and his friend followed me around, asking my bra size and saying the boy wanted to go out with me. After a while, I hid alone in the girls' locker room, shivering in the cold, dry shower. I felt targeted and embarrassed. My friend and I said something to the people in charge at the pool, and the boys got kicked out, but I never felt the same about going back there. The innocence of having unselfconscious fun in the water had evaporated. The weight we carry is based on media images of women and how our bodies should look. In high school, my high metabolism continued. My two best friends disdained me for wearing a size zero. Because of my low weight, I barely qualified to donate blood at the school's blood drive, and needles scared me anyway. So I let my friends assume I didn't weigh enough to donate. This was the 90s era when supermodels ruled. My friends and I admired their beauty and style in Vogue and on TV. We asked each other which supermodel we would want to be, even though none of us resembled them. I practiced walking like a supermodel in my basement, one foot in front of the other, to make my legs look longer. This was also the era of video vixens showcasing their bodies to fulfill fantasies and sell music. I was an MTV junkie watching videos for hours every day. Looking back, it seems strange how normal this programming was. It was the way things were. The weight we carry is based on what we eat, what we decide to put into our bodies to fuel them. I ate mostly terribly on most days, lots of burgers, fries, and shakes. We had open lunch and would run across a four-lane highway to raid the fast food places or pile in cars and screech into restaurants' parking lots with only five or 10 minutes to eat after we got our food. It was disordered eating, both in form and content. Even when I stayed in the cafeteria, I used multiple napkins to soak up the pools of grease from the pepperoni pizza I ordered. I played varsity tennis during my sophomore, junior, and senior years. Sometimes my friends and I tried to eat healthier, an apple here, a banana there, some sub sandwiches with veggies, but we were kids and it was easy to hit fast food places after practices and meets. And yet, even though I was indulging in all this fast food, I never gained a pound. I didn't gain weight no matter what or how much I ate. While my friends ordered their grilled chicken sandwiches without mayo to try to lose weight, I could get whatever I wanted. I was quiet about it, but I'm sure they noticed. My mom warned me this was a temporary condition that and that I wouldn't be able to eat that way when I got older without gaining weight. During my first year of community college, the freshman 15 crept on. I was still technically underweight for my height, but it was as though a switch had flipped and my body wasn't handling food the way it used to. The weight we carry is rooted in mental health issues, what we're thinking and feeling, and what we'll admit we're thinking and feeling. After my first breakup, big breakup. I tried to deny my feelings. I said I didn't want to talk and shoved down the pain I felt. When I'd lie down in bed, my heart would race. Then late one night while I was typing a paper, I felt strange and like I couldn't breathe. My hands felt shaky and clammy and a sense of doom overtook me. I had no idea what was happening and I felt terrified. I thought I was dying. 
I ran upstairs and tried to tell my parents what was going on. The next day, my mom read about anxiety and said that's what she thought it was. While it helped a little to know what was going on, it didn't make my symptoms disappear. For about six months, anxiety overwhelmed my days. My mind bounced from focusing on every symptom my body was having, to thinking I was losing my mind, to fearing I was going to die. I would sit in class and my heart would race as if I were running. I also had scary obsessive thoughts that upset me. My anxiety ping-ponged from a generalized feeling to unrealistic fears, back and forth and round and round, all the time. I tried to act normal even though I felt a continual emergency inside me. Smiling and making conversation at a group lunch when I felt like I could drop dead at any moment was torture. Looking back, I'm not sure how I made it, managed to stay in college, and keep straight A's. I guess I got through it one moment at a time and worked through my fears. I once prayed that if God would help me, I would do what I could to help others. So maybe sharing about my anxiety publicly is one way I can fulfill that promise. Over time, my anxiety dissipated and the rest of college was good. I got several awards for my writing, was inducted into Phi Beta Kappa, and graduated with a 4.0 GPA. But I lived far more in my mind than with my body. I didn't know how to take care of myself. Over the next two years, with my moderately unhealthy eating habits and not much exercise, I slowly gained about 20 more pounds and felt overweight, even though I was still in a normal weight range for my height. The saying, I wish I weighed as much now as the first time I thought I was fat, applies to this time, after I graduated college, got my first job, and got married. The weight we carry is based on stress, trying to fulfill the career expectations we think we should have. My first full-time writing job was as a public relations specialist in corporate communications. While I had great creative opportunities to do many different kinds of writing, the job was stressful and all-encompassing. I felt like I was my job. One icy morning when my husband's car slid off our country road, I was debating about trying to get into work, and a good Samaritan asked, are you a surgeon or something? I'm a public relations specialist, I said, seeing his point that it wasn't life or death, but still worried about my boss being angry. A few years later, around age 25, I gained another 10 or 15 pounds and maxed out at the healthy weight category for my height. My job overwhelmed my personal life. On weeknights, I felt mentally and emotionally drained zoning out to reruns of Seinfeld or Everybody Loves Raymond, trying to find some humor in life. My suits lay in a giant laundry pile on the basement floor. I couldn't relax on weekends. I cried on Friday night dates with my husband. I had the Sunday scaries, but I'd start dreading work at noon on a Saturday. The weight we carry is based on loss and grief. I'd always had long, irregular menstrual cycles and was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, by default. But it wasn't until after I had an unexpected, but wanted, pregnancy at age 29 and nearly immediate miscarriage at six weeks that I admitted this wasn't the right job for me. 
I'd always feared how I'd have this job and a family, as those two things seemed incompatible. Now I knew this wasn't a place for me to sustain life. I'd lost something I could never regain, and I waded through the depths of grief. The weight we carry is based on pregnancies and births, profound experiences that often make going back to the bodies we had before an impossibility. About eight months later, I found out I was pregnant again, the same week I left my corporate job. It felt like God had opened a window and I was free to embrace a new stage in my life as a stay-at-home mom and a freelance writer and editor. I mostly cocooned at home, soaking in the relaxation and allowing my baby's life to grow. I gained over 40 pounds during my pregnancy, about 30 of which dropped off within a week after I gave birth to my eight pound, six ounce son. My mother-in-law praised me as though this had something to do with me. I was breastfeeding and using more calories, but I wasn't making any effort to drop the weight. It just happened. But I also noticed newfound anxiety creeping in during an extended hospital stay when my son had jaundice. He needed to lay uncovered in a plastic bed under phototherapy lights to lower his bilirubin levels. My son was inconsolable there, which made me inconsolable too. Switching from trying to get him to nurse to trying to get him to stay under the lights made me feel crazed. I finally moved his bed and put a chair under the lights so I could hold him and he wouldn't cry. I didn't sleep for several days and started hearing words in his womb sounds teddy bear. My mind, body, and heart felt hardwired into this new little person, and my nerves were shot. I felt the terror of being responsible for another person's life. I didn't want to stay there, but I was afraid to go home. The weight we carry is based on trying to be independent and strong, trying to be it all and do it all. Other than visiting family and friends, I was on my own most days, trying to find my way through this maze of a domestic landscape with someone counting on me for their every need. In the first few weeks, my mom asked if I was afraid to be alone with my son. I wish I would have had the courage to say yes, but I felt the expectation to do this, to snap out of it and get over myself and my fears. This was my job and what I wanted. My husband would get angry whenever I asked for his help. My mom was busy and overwhelmed caring for my grandparents, so I felt like I needed to do it all. I tried to tell my doctor that I was having sudden scary thoughts of something bad happening to my son. She said, we all have fears about our kids and that I should stop trying to be super mom, which was exactly what I was trying to do because I felt I had to. She said when her kids were babies, she used to think about leaving and never coming back. I know she was trying to be real and relate, but it didn't help me feel better. It felt more like admitting we were all treading water in Lake Misery without life preservers. When my son was three months old, I was shopping at the grocery store with a cart full of stuff. I suddenly started to feel dizzy and strange. Convinced I was dying, I asked the employees to call 911. I was terrified of leaving my son without me. Even with my anxiety, I believed I was the most loving and capable person to raise my son, and I worried about what would happen to him in my absence. At the ER, I checked out okay, but I realized I needed to do something. I adored my son, and I didn't want to let the junk in my mind come between us. 
So I decided to go for counseling and vented a lot. My mother-in-law started visiting once a week to help me get a break. Eventually, my anxiety lessened, the disturbing thoughts went away, and I got back to enjoying time with my son. But my husband's anger started spilling out in rare bursts that frightened me, so we started marital counseling. The weight we carry is based on trauma. Still carrying the remaining 10 pounds from my last pregnancy, I got pregnant with my daughter when my son was two years old. For my part, this was a much desired pregnancy and I was charting and taking my temperature and obsessing with this girl I knew was coming my way. But my husband was still adjusting to our son, taking anxiety medication and drinking. At night, there were occasional episodes in which he became inexplicably angry, yelling and cursing at me and throwing things or punching doors. The next day, he wouldn't remember these incidents. He never physically hurt me, but I was afraid of him, and I was afraid to leave our son alone with him. After my husband and son were asleep, I would go to the basement and call my mom, whispering and trembling. I wasn't sure what to do, I was financially dependent on my husband and would soon have a newborn along with my toddler. I gained over 40 pounds again during my pregnancy with my daughter, who weighed eight pounds, eight ounces at birth. I held and snuggled her in my hospital bed on New Year's Eve while my husband slept on a nearby couch. It was her and me and the wedding singer on TV. We were both peaceful. She was such an excellent sleeper that they'd had to give me an IV during labor to wake her up. Her super sleepy trend continued, blessedly, after she was born. My husband seemed to be coming around and wasn't getting angry at me anymore for asking for his help. It felt like things were finally going to be okay, but more storms were in store. The weight we carry is based on hormonal conditions that are out of our control. When my daughter was two months old, I started talking about strange things and feeling like I was getting spiritual messages and personal revelations all the time. I wasn't getting much sleep, but that wasn't because of my daughter. She was still a great sleeper. I just couldn't sleep. Eventually, I wasn't sleeping and had trouble eating. My thoughts started going faster and faster and were out of touch with reality. This reached a pinnacle when I ended up having a car accident with my daughter and my minivan was totaled. Thank God both of us were okay. They asked me how long it had been since I'd slept, and I couldn't remember. In the ER, my chest hurt so badly from the airbag deployment that I couldn't hold or nurse my daughter, and I feared I was going to die, even though the doctor said I was fine. I agreed to stay for observation at a mental health center for two or three days. I had no idea I would end up being away from my daughter for two weeks. Because of the medications they wanted to put me on, I had to stop nursing. My postpartum body marched around braless in an Oxford blue cotton gown in a co-ed environment with an ever-rotating cast of characters, one of whom reminded me of the girl from The Ring. It was frightening and confusing, and I feared I would never get out. Unable to nurse, I felt dropped in the middle of my pregnancy weight, about 15 more pounds than before. After I was discharged and returned to my daughter, I found out I'd had postpartum psychosis, one of many postpartum mood disorders. My family and I had no idea what signs to look for 
or that I was showing any of those signs. Deeply shaken with more trauma and zero confidence, it took about nine months before I felt like myself again. The weight we carry is based on our relationships, those we choose to stay in and those we choose to leave and why. The next year after things had settled, I decided to divorce my husband. I didn't want my kids to experience what I had or learn from the way he talked to me and think it was okay. We'd been together for 15 years, so it was hard and painful, but I thought it was the right decision. I believe that by changing the nature of our relationship to cooperative co-parenting, we'd be better people and parents than if we continued battling the other person. This decision coincided with me re-meeting an acquaintance from high school who had glowing admiration and respect for me as a woman, writer, and mom. His supportive kindness and flirtatious friendship filled a well within me. I didn't feel strong enough to stand on my own as a single mom, and I knowingly chose to rely upon someone with significant mental health and substance issues. He pulled it together to support me. It seemed like his issues were in check, and we fell in love and were happy. With lots of comfort eating and drinking more alcohol, I was at my heaviest weight the following year, weighing twice as much as I did in high school. A customer at my part-time retail job commented that she thought I was expecting another child when I wasn't. I was grieving my former marriage while having jumped into another relationship. I carried the weight of the divorce, of questioning if I'd done the right thing. Two years later, with healthier eating and exercise, I'd lost 25 pounds. We had a beautiful wedding, and three weeks later, everything imploded. He said he wanted out, then changed his mind, but the damage was done. I knew we were doomed, and I should have let him go. I was trying to build a life with someone who wasn't willing to help himself, and it was dragging me and my kids down with him. But my pride of not wanting to fail at another marriage kept me hanging on for way too long, several years, and I regained much of the weight I'd lost. Wanting to save him was my addiction. I felt like I was drowning, failing as a person, wife, mother, and employee. He pushed my buttons, and I felt combustible anger rising. One night when things were getting too heated, I put a boundary between us. I locked him out of my home and out of my life. The weight we carry is based on facing our issues and trying to heal ourselves. I started rebuilding myself and refocused on my kids. I got into a 12-step program for codependency. After my son was diagnosed with inattentive ADD, I recognized many of the same symptoms in myself, difficulty focusing, finishing tasks, and organizing things that I'd had since I was little. Because I'd done well in school, this was overlooked, as ADD often is in quiet girls who daydream. I tried the same medication my son was on. I started walking four to five times a week and took a water aerobics class twice a week. I watched my food portions and boosted my water intake. In a year, I lost about 20 pounds I felt more confident in my body, getting back to a weight I hadn't seen in nearly a decade. But I recognized it was also so much easier to lose weight because the medication I took made me not hungry. I wasn't sleeping very well and was staying up too late. 
I couldn't have an iced tea without feeling anxious. So I decided to get off the medication because I didn't feel it was helping me. After so much heartache and a year on my own, I wasn't looking for a relationship, but God had other plans. And shortly after saying I wasn't ready and wasn't sure I ever would be, I met a healthy, wonderful, passionate man who would become the love of my life. After a whirlwind courtship, we married and joined our lovely blended family of five kids. Enjoying every day with him and having true love, mutual respect and caring, and peace and joy in my home is a priceless treasure. The weight we carry is based on the pandemic. In late 2019, I left another tough work situation involving a reorganization, a closing library, and my heart literally hurting every time I was there. I had a feeling I might need to be around more for my kids, but I wasn't sure why. Then a few months later, the pandemic hit. My kids did e-learning for the rest of the school year. I coped with the uncertainty through comfort eating and regained most of the 20 pounds I'd lost. For the 2020 school year, I decided to homeschool three of our kids for seventh, fourth, and first grades. Some things were great, sleeping in, having our own schedule, doing school in PJs, taking walks, but some things weren't. How hard it was to help the kids learn, how frustrated we got at times, and how lonely and sad one of them felt isolating at home. The weight we carry is based on comments about our bodies. Last year, we visited my now 98-year-old grandmother, who understandably no longer has a filter. She said she never thought I'd be such a big girl. I assumed she meant I was fat and said that was rude. She started crying and I told her it was okay. And then I cried after I got home. My mom said my grandmother meant that after having been such a tiny kid, she wouldn't have expected me to be a taller, bigger adult. Weight can be protection, a shield, an armor, but it can also make you so vulnerable. Ironically, due to a health condition, my grandmother has lost a lot of weight in the last year and now weighs only 98 pounds, one for each year of her life. I haven't been back to see her, and although I love her, I'm not sure a visit would help either of us. I don't wanna be hurt again, and I don't know if she'd know who I am. The weights we carry are much more than numbers on a scale. The weights we carry are sometimes visible, sometimes not. The weights we carry are from health conditions, known and unknown, and from medications. The weights we carry are from past traumas and current stresses. The weights we carry are from those we've loved and lost. The weights of worry and expectations, spoken and unspoken the weights of inevitable sadness, inequality, and injustices, the weights of aging and hormonal challenges, the weights of everything we've experienced. So what can we do? How can we begin to cast off these weights we carry? We need to take small steps to care for ourselves every day. We can't wait until our kids are grown to take better care of ourselves. We need to start now, today, meet ourselves where we are, do what we can, and be kind to ourselves in the process. We'd be better off picking up hand weights and doing some reps, working out our worries by taking a walk or talking to a friend, helping our bodies with dancing or yoga. 
The things that have helped me lose weight are simple, but not always easy. The weights we carry are based on our daily habits, on what we do or don't do every day. My current weight is based on the choices I made each day about what I ate and how much or little I moved. Devoting too much time to school or work kept my body still in a chair for long periods of time without the mental boost or health benefits that exercise brings. I often described yummy foods as comforting. I've stress-eaten, chowed on carbs, rewarded myself with sweets, and ignored portion sizes. The saying, you didn't gain weight overnight, so you shouldn't expect to lose it overnight either, applies to me, and I'm trying to undo some bad habits I've had for decades. I'm not great at doing things a little at a time. I tend to hyper-focus and give a task my all, or it's not on my radar. I'm often a last-minute blitz worker instead of a plotting, consistent one. Even though I could write papers the night before and get straight A's, the last-minute blitz no longer serves me well, in writing or in life, and it definitely doesn't work as an approach to health. You wouldn't chug a bunch of water at the end of the day and expect to feel good. It's something you have to do a bit at a time. Drinking more water is much easier when breaking it down into smaller amounts to have throughout the day. It's the same way with bigger projects. I have big ideas about what matters to me, writing books, getting in better shape, having more energy, but often without taking the small steps each day to put those things into practice. I want to change that. So I started a daily habit tracker to improve my self-care and give myself pretty colored dots for completing tasks, taking vitamins, drinking 90 ounces of water, eating three to five fruits or veggies, moving for 30 minutes, meditating for five or 10 minutes, coloring or journaling. Refocusing on me in these small ways helps me take better care of myself and feel more relaxed. I've also benefited from paying attention to my food portions, roughly measuring how much I'm eating, tracking my food, which makes me consider if I really want to eat something, intermittent fasting, eating more protein, using larger water containers I only have to refill several times a day, short walks that clear my mind and lift my mood, slower, longer walks that help me get more steps and relax, going to bed earlier and sleeping longer, and taking anxiety medication, which is helping me feel better and eat less. I want to get to a healthier weight, but I also recognize I have more muscle now than I ever did before. I can carry my 78-pound daughter across the floor. I'm trying to go forward to a new, healthier version of me, then go back to a former me who no longer exists. I've grown and learned a lot, but I still carry the excess weight of everything I've experienced. With healthier daily habits, I hope I'll begin to shift this aspect of who I am with lasting effects. Moving and shaking are part of it, but so is sleeping better, reducing stress, and relaxing more. We get so much advice about eating and exercise that it's enough to spin anyone around. Different things work for different women, and we have to find activities we love that are doable and sustainable for us, whatever our lives are like. Of course, for moms, we're always working around our kids, their lives, their needs, their schedules. It's a struggle to figure out where and how we fit into that 
and we're always growing and changing as they grow and change, as they need us less, as they need us differently, as they need us to love ourselves and take good care of ourselves as we help and guide them. We are our own self-projects, role-modeling self-care and compassion, that we care about ourselves and how we feel in our bodies to make positive changes that will help us along our paths. The weight we carry is based on caring for others. The metaphor of putting on your own oxygen mask before assisting others is a hard one for moms. We want to make sure they'll be okay and then we'll be okay, but we have to breathe first. We have to give ourselves the fuel we need, fresh air, lots of water, good food, movement and mindfulness, plus some occasional treats. Women, especially moms, are often taught to prioritize other people's needs, to love, serve, and nurture. And these qualities grow and enrich people, children, and society. But it also conditions women to think that we're only okay if everyone else in our lives is okay. We should flip that around. We need to be okay first. Sometimes it's easier to think about doing something for yourself as ultimately doing something for others. If we have to trick our minds a bit into caring better for ourselves, it's worth doing. To remind you that enriching yourself will have positive effects for you, your family, and everyone you come into contact with. To realize that you are the best person to prioritize you. To know you can move through the world and shake off the weights you carry. Thank you for listening and take good care. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake. Get moving.